You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter, at Bruce Exclusive, and Nick's not here. Nick just bailed on us, guys. I don't know what to tell you. He doesn't love you anymore. At least he doesn't love you like I love you. The end and ends. You know, I come to you today, hopefully this is a Wednesday, you're listening to it the day it drops, because if you're not a true fan, obviously you're not going to do that. But I come to you today... In a very strange and conflicted place, the Bills defeated the Miami Dolphins 31-21 this past Sunday, and wins are always better than the alternative, which is either a loss or a tie. And at the end of the year, nobody's going to look back to this game and take away credit for that win because of the way it played. But simultaneously, there is a subsection of Bills Mafia that's feeling a little dissatisfied today. And they're probably feeling a little dissatisfied in general around the team, despite the 5-1 and one start. So we're going to try to address some of these discussions today. We're going to tackle some narratives. And we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about whether or not a win really is a win. Because that's the narrative going around. Well, I mean, you know, a win is a win. A win is a win is a win. It doesn't matter how, a win's a win. I'm not entirely sure I agree with that. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? I think there are reasons to show a little bit of concern. I think there are reasons to pump the brakes on booking those tickets for the Super Bowl based on some of the things that we have seen. How should we really feel about the Dolphins game? How should we react? Should we curb our enthusiasm? Should we have a little bit of hesitation around this team? Or should we just sit back and enjoy the five and one? And I think the answer is a little bit of both. Sit down with Uncle Bruce today. He's going to help you out. So let's have a discussion. Let's talk about whether or not wins are really wins. I think that... Wins are wins in the macro. And what I mean by that is at the end of the year, 10 and 6 matters just as much as any other method of acquiring 10 and 6. And if that's all you're thinking about, then yes, wins are wins, period, it's done. But that's not all wins are. Wins are not just that. Wins have equal count to other wins, but not equal predictive value. Let's rewind on that thought. If you look at wins only as count, 
then yes, all of them mean exactly the same. But wins aren't just count. That's not all they are. They're also an indication of something. They're a predictive measure by which you can attempt to tell what this team will do in the future and answer the question, is this team good? Is this team bad? Is this team mediocre? The 5-1 record says the team is good. What we see on the field says maybe the team is okay. There's a discrepancy there and people feel uncomfortable. Not all wins have equal predictive value. And that's important. This win doesn't tell us a lot about what we can expect from this team moving forward because the things that we struggled with this game weren't the things that we struggled with before. Levi Wallace has played really, really well since he took over the opposite cornerback spot from Tredavious White. He didn't play great this game against Miami. However, it doesn't really offer us a lot of predictive value because if he only plays this one bad game, then that's what a fluke is. If a game doesn't offer you predictive value of the future, we call that a fluke. That's where that word comes from. It comes from the concept that it's so far as a statistical outlier that it cannot be used to help you predict the future. Was it a fluke for the Bills? Based on the way we played against the Jets, based on the way we played against the Bengals, it's not a fluke, but it's fluky in a different way. Our defense giving up a season high in passing yardage to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the previously inept Dolphins offense is probably a fluke. It's very likely a fluke. But what if it's not? What if there are things that showed up on film that other teams will take advantage of moving forward? It's a reasonable concern. Because if you focus only on results, you'll miss out on the process. I'm surprised that a fan base that is all in on Sean McDermott and the process, and McBean, and McProcess, and whatever catchy nickname you'd like to give him. Because the method by which you obtain those wins helps you predict future wins. The method by which you obtain losses helps you predict future losses. I'll give you a great example. The Bengals are in the process of fielding one of the worst rushing offenses in the history of football right now. I think that can probably tell you something about the way they are moving forward. You can probably learn something about that. Regardless of what their record was, you can probably learn something from that. The method by which you acquire the win or the loss matters. Obviously, the win or the loss is the most important thing in the macro. When the season is over, wins and losses are all that matters. When the season's in the middle of it, That's not all that matters because you're trying to predict the future. You're trying to know what to look forward to or what to fear in the future. So that's how I want to balance this. At the end of the year, all that's going to matter is wins and losses. But we're not at the end of the year right now. We're in the middle of the year. And right now, the method by which you attain the win or the loss matters. If we are disappointed in some of the performances that the Bills have shown and they're still 5-1, and that's a lot better than being disappointed by some of the performances we've seen on tape and have the Bills be 2-4 and 
which if a couple things bounce the wrong way, we could be. But we're not. We're 5-1. and one, And we should be excited about that. But how should we feel about this game in particular? Let's digest some of the narratives coming out of this game. First off, Stephen Hauschka. Let's talk about him. We gave him a contract extension. At the time, it was like, okay, well, obviously, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are concerned about the way he ended last year after the injury and the misses. And he's been pretty good this year. I think we can take a sigh of relief right now and say, he's fine. He's completely fine. We were worried that this would go the way of Dan Carpenter. Nick famously said that kickers are good until they're not. He did not fall off the cliff yet. And so I think we can breathe a sigh of relief saying that Steven Hauschka can do what's necessary. John Brown, on pace for over 1,200 yards and 88 catches? Has there been a better free agent acquisition low-key in the 2019 season than John Brown? The diamond in the rough. John Brown is right up there as far as meaningful off-season acquisitions. Tip of the cap to Brandon Bean for getting that right. Frank Gore is absolutely unbelievable. Frank Gore averaged five yards a carry, is chugging right along, is doing his job, and the Bills should be commended for the masterful way in which they are handling a 36-year-old running back. A 36-year-old running back who is absolutely a future Hall of Famer. They're not asking him to carry the ball 26 times a game. They're asking him to carry it 15 times a game in between the tackles with runs that he's comfortable with and in meaningful situations. They're asking him to do all the right things. Their handling of Frank Gore has been nothing short of masterful and they should be commended for it. Dawson Knox needs to take a back seat right now. He is a dynamic player. He's a great athlete. He's a good blocker. But he's hurting the offense. And the offense isn't consistent enough that it can afford to take steps back in down and distance through drops and steps back with penalties. I love Dawson Knox. Coming into the year, I kind of had a little bit of my foot on the brake with Dawson Knox because he was a converted quarterback. He played in a very elementary offense in Ole Miss. And I told Nick, I don't think we should expect a lot from Dawson Knox this year. And then he came out and really made some plays. And I'm happy about that. But it's clear at this point that it's not ready yet. And I hope that as Tyler Croft got his feet wet last week, that this upcoming week we'll see more snaps for Croft that previously would have gone to Dawson Knox. The hardest choices require the strongest wills. The defense. Let's talk about the defense. Man, we missed Matt Milano. We missed Matt Milano in pass coverage, in zone coverage. That was so good. I actually thought we would see more passes to running backs where I would think to myself, goodness gracious, we really missed Matt Milano there. And that's not really what happened. We didn't get nickel and dimed with screen passes like I thought we might. But we still miss Milano. Tremaine Emmons had a bad game. And by bad game, I mean bad game comparatively to his standards. Tremaine Edmond has been playing like a monster all year long. He had a slightly less game than he did. Missed a couple tackles, but I'm not worried. Levi Wallace, Joe Marino said it on his pod on Monday. He got big boyed. 
that doesn't mean that there's reason for concern. It's just something that happened that particular game. It doesn't mean we should freak out and try and make sure that we have another person to replace him. He's played really well. We have lots of statistically significant data that says Levi Wallace is a good player. He just didn't play well this game. Again, nothing to really be concerned about moving forward. Just something that happened that was less than desirable. Where are all my Trey White haters at? Earlier in the year, there was some discussion as to whether or not Tredavious White was giving up too many catches, and I said he's fine. But going into this year, we talked about how we wanted him to make more plays. We wanted him to make splashy, game-changing plays because that's what dynamic players do, and he did it on Sunday. He did exactly what we wanted him to do coming into the year. He answered the bell when we needed him to. Whether it was a pick at the goal line or whether it was a peanut punch, that is not a euphemism. Right. A peanut punch is an homage to Peanut Tillman, who was a Bears cornerback who famously tackled with one arm and used the other arm in a fist to punch at the ball, thus causing lots of fumbles. He actually teaches that technique to defensive backs to help them cause more fumbles. Apparently, Tredavious White is quite the student. I award Gryffindor House 60 points. Because it was executed to perfection, and he made a play for this team. When the defense was down, he made a play. When the offense was kicking field goals in the red zone and needed somebody to help him out a little bit, he made a play. He gets the game ball, and it's not close. Good for Trey White. And finally, let's talk about Josh Allen. Josh Allen played a clean game. That's what Sean McDermott said at his press conference this week. He played a clean game. There will come a day when playing a clean game is not good enough for Josh Allen. That won't be sufficient. We won't say that. We'll be expecting more. We'll be demanding more. That time should not be now. Because two games ago, you were talking about how he couldn't stop turning the ball over. Then he goes two games in a row, doesn't fumble at all, throws one ball that maybe wasn't the best decision, but you can make an argument the receiver should have kept running. And the turnover-worthy balls that he was throwing earlier in the year that maybe weren't getting picked off, like the Jets game, for example. Do you remember a turnover-worthy throw in the last two games, aside from the one I just mentioned? So clean is an improvement. I'm not saying clean game is the end-all and be-all of Josh Allen. It's not. A clean game is a step in the right direction. Now we move to the next thing. And that's what the haters do. Well, you know, his deep ball's 15 yards off. I understand that. But let's just handle this thing one thing at a time. Because two games ago, you were yelling that he was turning the ball over too much. And if he could stop shooting us in the foot, maybe we'd score more points. Okay, so he's doing that. He goes in phases. First phase of Josh Allen was what I called terrible. It was the first part of 2018. It was not good. It was not great. Not great, Bob. Phase two after he came back from injury was better. He graduated from terrible to meh. We said meh. M-E-H. Meh. And he got to meh, and that's great. And that's wonderful. But that's not the only phase of Josh Allen. He moves on to phase three, which is the beginning of this year 
where he's playing more in control. He's not running like a bat out of hell every time some pressure gets in his face. But he's still trying to learn to curb those hero ball mentalities. We're in phase three. We might be coming out of phase three where he learns not to be crazy. And phase four is when he learns how aggressive he can be, how to hit the deep shot, how to read the field a little bit better. Maybe that's phase four. But if you don't see growth, I don't know what to tell you. He's up in every single meaningful passing statistic. He's clearly growing. Let's freak out when he plateaus. When he plateaus, we will freak out and say, is this it? Because there will come a day. It's not like his ceiling is endless. He just keeps going forever. That's not how development works. You hit a ceiling. That's why they use the term ceiling to describe Josh Allen. He has a high ceiling because he has these athletic gifts. That's the reason why they use the term. But guess what? Everybody has a ceiling. They'll hit it eventually. We don't know if he's hit his yet. We will know when he stops getting better. When he plateaus and stops getting better, we'll know. That could be phase three. The phase that we're in right now could be the final form of Josh Allen. He could never get any better than this right now. And if that happens, he's a bust. If he's never any better than this, he's a bust. Clearly. But we don't know that yet. It hasn't been statistically significant data of seeing him in phase three. We know he can go from phase one to phase two. We saw that happen. We know he can go from phase two to phase three. We saw that happen. But until he stays in phase three for a long enough time that you go, okay, this is just who he is, you can't write him off yet. And if you're expecting him to just run through these phases one game at a time, I don't know what to tell you. He played fine. He wasn't amazing. He wasn't bad. He wasn't terrible. He was fine. He had some things he could have done better. But he made some good throws that quarterbacks in the previous and most recent Bills history have not made. He's showing an ability to adjust at the line of scrimmage. He's showing the ability to know when he can pull the trigger and when he can't. He hasn't been completely neutered by the please don't turn the ball over. That was one of my concerns about Josh Allen was if we tell him don't turn the ball over, don't turn the ball over, don't turn the ball over, is it going to neuter him? Is he going to get to the point where he goes, well, I don't want to throw the ball. And he turns into Captain freaking Checkdown. But he didn't. He still makes good, strong, intermediate passes between defenders. He plays in an area of the field that is essential to play in in order to be a successful NFL quarterback. Does the lack of having a long ball accuracy right now concern me? Yes, absolutely it does. It's been statistically significant data to indicate that he's really, really, really struggling with that right now. We can say that. It's okay to say that he's really struggling with that right now. We hope he can learn. But if I have to pick an area of competence for my quarterback and my only two options are deep ball accuracy or intermediate accuracy and drive, I will take intermediate accuracy and drive. I will take the area of the field that is thrown to more often than the other. I'm not saying deep balls aren't important. You have to be able to throw the ball to all areas of the field. But let's just Accept the fact that he was fine, and for right now, that's okay. There will be a day when that will no longer be okay. 
We ran into that year three with Tyrod, where he didn't get any better. But we're not there. We're not even through two years with Josh Allen yet. If he still looks like he's in phase three a year from now, we can start having the is Josh Allen a bust conversation. I'll lead the charge. And by then, there will be another group of fans who is probably not ready to have that discussion, and they'll hate me. In fact, they may be the fans that are listening to this right now, nodding, going, yeah, listen to Bruce. He knows what he's talking about. And then a year from now, when I go, hey, guys, I think Josh Allen's a bust, they'll be like, boo this man! I'll tell you one thing you cannot use to defend Josh Allen, though, his record, because wins aren't a quarterback stat. Let's just take a second and chat about that. Philip Rivers is two and five. You can't see this, but I put air quotations around Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is two and five. Jimmy Garoppolo is six and zero. Oh. Wins are not a quarterback stat. Philip Rivers is two and five. Josh Allen's five and one. Is that because Josh Allen's way better than Philip Rivers? Absolutely not. The idea that you can assign a win or a loss to a player in the most complicated team game on the planet, is completely asinine. Are quarterbacks the plurality reason why you win or lose a game? Are they the biggest part of winning and losing? Yes. Are they the majority? Not even close. And if they're not the majority of the reason why you win or lose a game, then how can you assign a win or a loss to that person? You just got jammed. So when you were having a discussion about Josh Allen, don't come in. With, well, you know, he's 5-1. and one. Because that's not helpful. That doesn't advance the discussion. Wins are the quarterback stat. I may feel strongly about that, but I don't know if you can tell. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I get back, I'm going to have a discussion with the loyal NNNs, who I love so much. And we're going to have a, a quick chat around the fireside of some of the comments and feedback that we've gotten recently. Stick around. I'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And I'd like to take a second and chat with my loyal NNN listeners who I love so much and say thank you for the reviews that you have left for this show and the feedback you have provided to Nick and I on Twitter. We love it. It is my favorite part of doing what we do is getting a chance to interact with you and trying to enrich your fandom. And, you know, I've said that phrase a couple times, and I want to kind of digest that real quick. Enrich your fandom. Being a Buffalo Bills fan is an emotional experience, and it's a joy for people. People do it because the highs they get from a Bills win are worth all the lows. That's why they keep doing it. They keep doing it because they view it as an emotional net positive in their lives. I want to try and move that forward. I hope that by listening to this podcast, that your fandom is deeper and more foundational and it roots deeper and it makes you feel like you're connected to the team in a more meaningful way so that those highs are even higher than they were. And I really appreciate what you do for us here. So I have a humble ask. That if you like what Nick and I do, if you like this pod here, even though Nick's not here, head over to the iTunes store, drop us a rating, drop a review, tell us how we're doing, and we'll make sure we connect with you on one of these pods. So great review from 
what I think is Jeremy Matthews, shorthanded, titled A Guy from California, who starts off with an office reference. Well, 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 how the turntables have, and I really like it. Well, 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 how the turntables. But he goes on to tell us how we've become his number one source for Bill's information and how much it helps him with his arguments with other people. And you know me, I love a good argument. I love a good logical fallacy. So helping you out helps me out. And I appreciate that, man. Duke John left us a review in Old English, and I will not step on Nick's toes by reading this review because he's going to want to do it, and I would never steal that from him. Max F 126 one of the few podcasts I look forward to each week, he says, thank you, Max. I appreciate that, man. The stats show was a must listen, according to Max, and I really appreciate that a lot, man. And then we got Missouri Badger. Missouri Badger, Missouri Badger, Missouri Badger. <sighs> he left us a rap. He left us a rap. And I promised that if you left us a review in the form of a rap, that I would rap it for you. So I'm going to. This pod shines brighter than an amethyst. True balance of humor and analysis. I'm yoked on Mondays like an 80s Chris Berman waiting for the smartest sentence, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Nick and Bruce have a flow like the Niagara with funny drops that are stronger than Viagra. Break the game down like it's string theory because Bruce's mind is deeper than like Erie. Hail to the kings, please don't stop the fury. Bring in fire with your introspective queries. You are smoother than a peppermint tech tech. Thank you so much for helping us Bill's back. All right, see... Now, I immediately regret this decision because now people are going to start leaving reviews as raps and I'm going to have to do that on the level. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If you do, it needs to be of the quality of the two that we have gotten, which are spectacular quality. But I love you guys and you all seem to think it's funny. So I'm going to go with it because MC Blowhard would not let you down, guys. That's what it boils down to. I just don't want to let you down. The reason I spend an inordinate amount of time researching DVOA and Sean McDermott's peewee coach is so I don't let you down. So I hope I didn't let you down there. So we have a very special guest for you. A surprise special guest. And I'd like to bring this person in because I feel like maybe you need a different voice. Maybe this solo pod is getting you a little down. Maybe you're like, where's Nick? Where is all of the relevant, reasonable queries? Where is the emotional fan take? Where is the balance in the force? Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. Bruce by himself is just a raving psychopath. Well, I have a treat for you. I have someone here whose voice you might recognize, and I'd like her to go ahead and say hi. Hello. Oh, it's a lady. Well, hello there. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing all right. For those of you who don't recognize this voice, where exactly would they recognize those dulcet tones? You're listening to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, not just a lovely pair of pipes, but also my lovely wife. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Nolan, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming into this room from the other room that you were in <laughs> down the hall. <laughs> well, you know. 
You're welcome. She makes all the effort necessary in this marriage. The reason I wanted to bring Mrs. Nolan here is because we're at a weird spot where we're five and one. And the last time we were five and one was in 2008 with a fairly epic collapse. But my wife wasn't here for that. My wife didn't become a Bills fan until 2009 when she met me. So she hasn't experienced that. It isn't jaded by that. And so I wanted to get a fresh set of eyes because I recognize my own bias. So let me ask you something. The Bills are five and one. Yes. Are the Bills good? I think the Bills are good. Now we're going to have to define good. (laughs) We're going to have to define what we mean by good. Are they get to the playoffs good? Are they have a winning record good? Are they 10 and 6 good? Are they win a playoff game good? Are they get to the AFC Championship good? Are they get to the Super Bowl good? Are they win a Super Bowl good? I think the Bills will make the playoff and I think they will win at least one playoff game. What leads you to that belief that doesn't involve being 5 and 1? Well, like you said, I've only been a fan of the NFL period since 2009. Um, And the teams that I have seen up until this point, I've never really felt super confident. And the one thing I can say personally that I see, even when we are down, I never feel like we're out of the game. I feel like Josh Allen can lead us back, and he has led us back multiple times. And I think the fans feel that, and I think the team, his teammates feel that, and the coaches, and they really believe that. And I just think that that, I think that's something special. When you never really feel like you're out of the game and you have that much confidence in your quarterback and your team, I think it's something special. So you think clutch gene is not only a thing, but it is the prevailing factor into why you feel confident about this team. That, and I think our defense is, is pretty legit, so, and I'm a sucker for a good defense, so I'm all about that defense. So what happened on Sunday against the Dolphins? Not just with the defense, but what happened to this team? I think, I mean, we're coming off of a bye week, and I think bye weeks are kind of, they're hit and miss. Like, you can, a lot of teams will go on a bye week, I think college and everything, and come back out and lay an egg. Sometimes I feel like, the bye week can kind of hurt a team. But I also feel like it was just a bad day. So if it's just a bad day and everybody has it, the next logical question is, can we learn anything from the bad day that we take forward? Or is this one of those just burn the game film and never look at it again kind of days because it was so significantly a fluke? No, I definitely think there's some things you can learn from Sunday's game. I always, I'm of the opinion that you can always learn something good or bad. So I definitely think if you look at the film, there are some things that you can take away and learn from. So give me two things that you think the Bills can take away from this game that aren't flukes. So I made a comment earlier in the pod that Levi Wallace had a bad day. But I'm not entirely sure that you can any, really do anything about that because he just had a bad day at the office. I don't think there's something that can, you can look at in the film and go, well, clearly this is a concern moving forward. He just had a bad day at the office. So what are some things, what are two things that you saw on Sunday that aren't a fluke, that do mean something and can and should be addressed moving forward? I would say my first thought would be the deep 
football. I feel like we could get a little more accuracy with Josh Allen on that. And I mean, I'm just like thinking about it. Like what if he, you know, because Josh Allen has a super powerful arm. We all know that. And it's one of the things we love. At least I do. I love about him. Um, and just think about if he could get that and rein that in, that power, just rein it in just a little bit. I mean, how thrilling would that be? I mean, that would be amazing. So I think if we could just work on the accuracy of the deep ball, that could be a huge thing for us, as well as penalties. I feel like we, as a team, need to get better with penalties. Because again, I think we are a good team and we can make the playoffs and win some games in the playoffs if we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. I'm sorry, I literally heard nothing after you said you're a sucker for the deep ball. So I'm going to go warm up my arm and start throwing the ball like Uncle Rico in the backyard in the hopes of uh, winning more of your affection. So. Yeah, you will. Yeah, I will. Giggity. So thank you so much for joining me and sitting here and having a discussion with me about the Bills. I wanted to get your unique opinion, and you did a great job. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're still listening, thank you so much. Well, there you have it, folks. My beautiful and wonderful wife, also a Bills fan. Yeah, I mean, don't hate the player, hate the game. So I want to close with this thought. Last week, Nick and I did a pod on advanced statistics and analytics. and Methods of measurement is what we called it. And we talked about DVOA. The Bills have the lowest DVOA. Of any 5 and one team since 1986. There's clearly reasons for people to have concern about this team. But the fact that we're 5-1 and one is great. Don't be the Bills fan that craps all over 5-1 and one because you're expecting an inevitable collapse. Don't rob yourself of the joy of being 5-1. and one. But also, don't discount people who bring reasonable suggestions to the table. People who bring reasonable concerns to the table and shout them down with five and one, five and one, five and one. Nothing else matters. We're five and one. Find the understanding that both realities are true. The Bills are five and one, and we are rejoicing in that, and we should be. And the Bills also have things that are concerning. And that we need to work on in order to make sure that 5-1 and one doesn't turn into 8-8. Eight and eight. Because at this point, that'd be a huge disappointment. I love all of you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Nick and Nolan Show. And as always, until next time. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. 
you can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 